Didi's D-Day, Tulsi, Not Virani, Gabbard, and more coming right up. Hi, you're listening to Attention Plus with Arna Bray on Talking Stuff Network. As for me, I'm Vikram Mohan. We have another great show lined up for you. But before we get to that, I would just like to take a moment of your time. If you're a regular listener or just stumbled onto this for the first time, we have an opinion poll out right now. And you can find the link on Twitter and also on the show notes for this podcast. So uh, we would really appreciate if you can just take two minutes out of your time and send us your feedback. Heck, you can even do it while listening to this right now. So yeah, go ahead. Click the link on your podcast app and it won't take more than a couple of minutes. And of course, the reason you have tuned into the, this podcast, your host, Arnabre. Hey, Arnab, uh, how are the early reviews for 2019? Uh, what early reviews for 2019? It's It's been raining in California, which is something extremely rare. It's uh, And uh, <laughs> it, it's, it just became sunny today. So before when again we, we've just what Vikram said we have a survey out is very important because it's been about six months that we've been doing this show and I want to solicit some of your feedback which which has to go beyond that you know I suck my opinions suck because those things are not changing uh, neither am I going away nor are my opinions changing so um for for all the other uh, and we've been collecting and we've been kind of watching what the feedback is one of the feedback and I just wish to uh, kind of address that is why does Arnab repeat himself in the course of a podcast or things which he had discussed in the previous podcast? First of all, if I don't have the same opinion across podcasts, I'm sure you would complain that I say inconsistent things do, in between my podcasts. So I say one thing in episode one, another thing in episode five. So one of the things that I hope you'll be getting and appreciating is the consistency of my opinions. Um, the second point that I and wish to say, in case you, in case it's not clear that what i discuss on this show there is no pre-written script this is uh this is not a scripted i don't read of a teleprompter there's nothing it is just me talking so actually i think first of all i have received feedback that why don't you have a script and you're right if it's a script then there is no repetition it's more concise uh, it's like uh it's like my blog which again is scripted but the point of this podcast is precisely that I, first of all, that I don't have the time to put things together. So it's either either I don't blog or I don't have any way of telling you my opinion. So that's the option. Or I have something which is unscripted, even if it gets rambling at times. A second thing is in kind of any conversation, if you record any kind of conversation you ever have with someone you played back, you'll find that people kind of repeat themselves in different ways. Third thing is as a teacher myself, having taught courses for, I don't no longer teach, but I used to teach for seven or eight years. The essence of teaching is repetition. It's just that you don't exactly say the same thing, but you say the same point in different ways. And that's how you're able to convey yourself. This is vital because this is where a textbook differs from teaching and why teaching can never supplement a textbook. A textbook can be criticized for repeating itself, just like a blog post can, because it isn't in writing. However, when you're teaching something, and that's, that is the fundamental thing about the pedagogical approach, which is something which I want to have in this podcast. Here, I'm not so much expressing my opinions, but in a way teaching. Uh, and that might sound a little pedantic and arrogant for me to say I'm teaching you, but 
please uh, take it for the way that I'm saying it, is that this is supposed to be, this is supposed to be an unscripted uh, stream of consciousness rambling from someone. And of course, I could make it scripted. And there are many, you know, there is, there's of course, the great Dhruv Rati, who, who I greatly admire, who, who who does scripted things. I mean, he doesn't talk of the, from the he doesn't just talk and it's all written down, but I don't do that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure and I'm pretty sure that there are many podcasts like me where it's just one person talking. So um, I, I get your feedback. I, I appreciate your feedback. But the thing is, it will have me repeating myself, just like I'm repeating myself right now, because I already said this. All right. Uh, yeah, now right. moving on. Uh, to the topics of the day, because one of the things, one of the feedback items that I receive is that the show goes on too long. Again, this is again a concomitant of of, of the rambling aspect, but it's also the thing that when you have guests and you know, guests are in a role, we don't like to edit out things. Uh, for instance, when you see uh, your favorite uh, talk shows on NDTV or anywhere, it's they're mostly heavily edited, and we don't right. do that for two reasons. First of all. Uh, many of the times the editing is done in a strategic way. They just take out the places where the anchor looks bad. or uh, So that, that's one thing. And second is they also cut out the, the not so sensational parts. Uh, we don't want to do that uh, because we are not conventional media. So we want to present to you things. And of course, we have to edit out some things sometimes because of mostly because of technical reasons. True, um, true. So that's why they they will be rambling. I'm sorry, it's not that I just want don't want people to think oh, I'm giving Arnab this feedback, but he doesn't act on it. I, I do. I, I am listening to your feedback. I'm getting it. But of course, your feedback has a counter feedback too, right? And that's my feedback that in, in many ways, it's inevitable, the rambling and the fact that it sometimes goes too long. And I even I have felt that sometimes at least one episode, which went almost up to two hours because there was so many questions. <laughs> right. Was that it was too long? I, I I actually get that, but we'll try to keep it as as succinct as possible. But I can't promise that I won't ramble or repeat myself. And yes, I will definitely uh, repeat things which I have said in previous podcasts, but in a different context because, of course, the context keeps changing because news happens. But my fundamental opinions don't change because I don't change. Unfortunately, I don't change like your anchors who are made to change by their advertisers. That's the difference between me and them. And that's why I hope you're listening to me. Okay, moving on to the main topics of the day. Yep. So first, so this I didn't have scheduled because I was originally supposed to record this on Saturday, but uh, all on, on, on India Saturday here on my Friday. But since I'm recording this a day later, I thought I would lead with uh, my favorite politician, my second favorite politician, my favorite politician, of course, being Arvind Kejriwal. But my second favorite politician, Mamata Banerjee's uh, great, great rally in, in, in Calcutta. So first of all, Yes. So uh, I think there was a, I think there's so much to say about that rally because of, of, of things that happened there, which were kind of unscripted. First of all, Sharad Yadav, uh, forgetting the fact that he's supposed to talk about Rafale and talking about Bofors when there are Congress people on the stage. So this is what happens when you're kind of programmed <laughs> to say the same thing. So you go up there and your Pavlovian instincts kick in and you start saying Bofors, Shab Chorha, and then you realize, uh-oh. And there's this fu- there's this funny incident with about Siddhartha Shankar, Shankar Ray, who was uh, who was the Congress uh, governor, who Congress chief minister of West Bengal, and he was supposed he he's the guy who destroyed the Naxal movement. And if you ask the CPM through extra ju- judicial killings, but whatever it be, after some time, I think he left the Congress, and uh, in 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 the Beng- in the Bengal Assembly, he 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 stood up, and in one of his phases, he 
he forgot and he left Congress and then he joined it again. So he rejoined it and he got up and said, I will take off the mask from the face of Congress. I'm <laughs> saying that till he realized that he was not part of Congress and everybody was laughing. <laughs> so, so I think we had, we had that kind of, and, and this is inevitable when you have all these, at, I don't know, 20 people brought together by nothing but convenience with absolutely nothing common that they share. They don't share the same states. They, they have nothing in common, but except a desire to become prime minister. This is the only thing that that was common in the in, on the dais. There were about 15 people who all wanted to be the prime minister or deputy prime minister, depending on where they were. It's like either vice president or senior director. That's the kind of ambition. They were all brought together by ambition. Now, I and, and the second thing was there was something which Mamata Banerjee said, which I found extremely hilarious again because of its because of the unintentional subtext. So Mamata Banerjee says in the, the conclusion of the rally that uh, Modi has gone where nobody else has gone. He, he has gone after Sonia ji. He's gone after Akhilesh ji. He has gone after Lalu ji. He's even gone after me. So what I'm telling is, I mean, if you go after all of us, we're going to go after you. So I think this was this was a moment. This is you know this is a moment of great clarity where really the 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 real reason why the opposition has been united is kind of crystallized. It's. I don't think she meant it like that, but it comes out. And of course, I tweeted about that. And this should be BJP's talking point. I'm absolutely sure that given the way they work, they they will let this slide. But this is the point that they are themselves accepting that the reason why they are arrayed against Modi against it's not so much BJP. They had Shatrughan Sinha there from the BJP, but it's a bunch of people who have been united because. Narendra Modi has crossed a line with respect to them. With Lalu Yadav, it has been to throw them in jail. So it, it, it's just that the people who are saying this are themselves so flawed that way, that by saying that you have crossed the line with us, they're unintentionally validating uh, the person they're opposed to, which I found funny, instructive and ridiculous at the same time. Now, I don't think that this Mahagadvandhan is really uh, going to be a problem for the BJP because if Mamata Banerjee ties up with Chandrababu Naidu, there's really no place where those two things uh, can kind of tie up and make it problematic for the BJP. But for the BJP, the real problem is the alliance between Mayawati and uh, Mayawati and Akhilesh Yadav. Because with Uttar Pradesh being a key state and uh, them pooling their resources together, and with with Yogi on the other side, this has the potential of really taking the state away from the BJP or significantly cutting down the the boost that they get from Uttar Pradesh. So Mayawati, so in in Bihar in, in Uttar Pradesh, those two joining together is the real news. It's not so much the Mahagadbandhan. It's not the assemblage of twenty satraps together because there's really no significance. Uh, nobody in Bengal will vote for Mamata Banerjee just because Chandrababu Naidu is allied with her. And I'm sh- pretty sure the same goes true for Chandrababu Naidu. So that's, that's the, and the last thing is as a Bengali and as somebody who's my, my MP used to be Mamata Banerjee. And the only time I voted ever was I voted for Mamata Banerjee uh, at that point of time, because it was a CPM was the, was our ruling, was, was ruling and any, anybody was better than them. And definitely Mamata Banerjee was better than them. Uh, by by any definition at that point of time. So I was kind of uh, gratified as a Bengali because I'm pretty sure all Bengalis feel this, that 
at least when I was growing up, there was a persistent, like when our uncles always used to think or used to discuss, this is pre-social media days when people actually used to talk to each other, was that Bengalis had never been given a fair share at the center. That uh, Pranab Mukherjee could have come close. First, first of all, this, this in, injustice against Bengali started when Shubhash Chandra Bosch was uh, uh, expelled from the Congress. So the, 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 the person to blame for this was Mahatma Gandhi, who basically pulled the strings at that point of time. And ever since that happened, uh, Bengalis had never gotten a fair share uh, share at the center. So there was Atulya Ghosh and Indira Gandhi kind of destroyed him because Atulya Ghosh was part of the syndicate. And then there was Pranav Mukherjee, who everybody felt, I mean, felt that especially after 1984, that he should have been, he should have been the prime minister, but he was a sidestep for uh, Rajiv Gandhi. So they've, and then Jyoti Basu uh, almost became the prime minister. Um, I think it was Sitaram Yuchuri and those guys who didn't want Jyoti Basu to become the prime minister. Jyoti Basu, of course, wanted to be the prime minister. And then later on, Jyoti Basu spent the rest of his life uh, ruining the fact, calling it a historic blunder. Of course, it was a historic blunder for him. I don't think it was a historic blunder for the country because Jyoti Basu was possibly one of the worst administrators that this country has ever had in any state. Uh, but now with Mamata Banerjee, uh, it, it's 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 interesting and gratifying to see that she's finally, uh, she's finally, you know, I don't know if she's going to be the prime minister. Uh, I'm definitely she wants to be, but and I don't also think it's very likely that she will that, that this Gadvandan will have the numbers. But I could be wrong. There's still a long time for the elections. But as a Bengali and as somebody who once voted for Mamata Banerjee, there's this feeling of gratification to see that you know. From being our local MP, she now is, is now about let's say two shots away from becoming the prime minister if if things fall her way, and the fact that she brought these people together that 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 she has the stature. First of all, she has forty two MPs, and given a fractured parliament, forty two MPs is going to be a lot, and she will carry all the forty two MPs. There's no doubt about her. Virtually every other state, we don't know what's going to happen with Bengal. We kind of know what's going to happen. So that's why she is able to take the leadership because she's the person who's kind of bringing in, hey, I'm going to bring in 42 people. Okay, what what do you guys have? And nobody can give them a, give her a definite numbers back answer. So she's the only, so that's why she's kind of, she has the lead and she's taken the lead. She's done it in Bengal. She's done it and this is a show of strength, not just in Bengal, but to the whole country. Because one thing that I've always felt a little bad about Namata Banerjee is that Arvind Kejriwal, for all these years, has kind of been seen as the face of the opposition. He's given an inordinate amount of importance, mainly because he sits in Delhi. He's well connected with the media in Delhi. Many of his party members were Delhi media people. So he gets an inordinate say as the face of the anti-Modi movement, except he doesn't have any influence at the center. How many MPs did he have? Two, I think, right? Yeah, so he has two MPs and yet he's considered to be the face. Whereas Mamata Banerjee is really the principal opposition in terms of seats. And she's never been given her fair shake uh, by the Delhi media. She's either been considered to be an oddity because of her various other shenanigans, uh, you know, with her with her poetry and her art. But she's never been given the seriousness that she deserves with the amount of MPs she has. And I think this is the state. After, after this, I think people will have to take her seriously. She's definitely the number one prime ministerial candidate after this show of strength. Again, might be, might not be, but I think she is. And I might be a little bit biased for her, but I'm happy for her. I'm happy that she's gone from uh, the person who upset Shomna Chatterjee in, in Birghum 
to becoming a prime ministerial candidate. So in that respect, I'm happy for her. I'm not a supporter of her, but I'm happy for her. One thing moving on, I was, you know, Telegraph, they came up with this. So Telegraph, for some for some reason that, you know, I've said this a big again before in my podcast, that Telegraph, which is essentially a Calcutta-based newspaper, is now frequently lauded for being anti-establishment. Oh, look at their clever headlines. Of course, they're clever headlines. They're anti, how can they be, but how can they be called anti-establishment? They are a Calcutta newspaper. They are absolutely pro-establishment. The establishment is not BJP there and there's no chance. So when Telegraph brings out all these anti-BJP headlines, they're doing it from an absolute safe space because they know BJP will never be the government there. They're doing that to essentially curry favor with the Trinamool Congress government. And there was a time, there was a time long time ago when, when Telegraph was an anti-establishment newspaper. During the CPM era, it was perhaps one of the ABP group was one of the very few, very few entities that existed in Bengal that kind of had an anti-government stance. Most of the embarrassments the CPM had came from the ABP, whether it was their local Bengali newspaper, Andhavajar Putrika, or Telegraph. And Jyoti Baswin, these guys never liked, uh, never liked the ABP group. But over the years, um, over the years, it has, and even when Trinamul Congress came to power, uh, they had a problem that ABP group was against them. But now with change in management, the ABP group has essentially become the mouthpiece of Trinamul Congress. And if there was any doubt that it was the case, you should look at their head. Headlines today, where they compared Didi to Eisenhower. Okay, they compared the chief minister of the state, where the newspaper is based out, out as Dwight Eisenhower, and she's collecting together the allies to launch an assault on Modi, BJP, which is of course by the extension of that analogy, Hitler and the Nazis. So this is the level of psychophancy to which Telegraph degener- has degenerated to. Which is fine. I mean, I, I don't want to pick out Telegraph. I mean, for every Telegraph, there is one Republic TV. But you must also understand that uh, that it's not an independent newspaper by a, by by any stretch of the definition of what an what independence is. Okay. So now moving along to the next item for today. So I had uh, for, for those of you interested in 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 the U.S. elections. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, was announced her possible presidential candidacy. And Tulsi Gabbard is interesting because she is she's not an Indian, but she's not Indian, she is Samoan, but she is Hindu. And Tulsi Gabbard, by the way, is, is someone who's who's she has some strange political stances, but she was an early Bernie Sanders supporter. She actually left the DNC for a while. I don't know. If she, I can't remember if she left the DNC or she resigned from some committee because they felt that because she felt rightfully so, mm-hmm. and that was later shown. That was later proved that the DNC were trying to sabotage Bernie's candidature in favor of Hillary Clinton. So she's kind of been a liberal voice, and normally you would think that her announcing or throwing her hat into the presidential ring would be lauded by us progressives because you know she's a woman she's she's brown uh and she is she's an she's an iraqi war vet so it's not that you know she, she has her she has done duty for the country so you know that's this from a background perspective she's pretty much the perfect candidate in this day and age but you would you found the progressives going hammer and tongs after her because of her her distinct embracing of her hindu identity now, this is something which people don't often understand about the U.S., especially about its progressive movement. Uh, the progressive move, first of all, the U.S. is is by nature an extremely majoritarian country. 
I will say this in many podcasts with apologies. I have been here for almost 20 years now. And unlike India, this country does not make any apology for its majoritarianism. This is a Christian, a Judeo-Christian country. And if you come and you stay in this country, you are obligated. There's nobody will come and if kill you for eating beef. I mean, that is not here because the rule of law is strong. But you are expected, you are expected to, and this comes, this should come organically to accept that this is a Christian country. As as I once had a discussion with one of my bosses that if US is considered to be quote unquote secular, then why is there a vacation for Christmas? Why don't you just give everybody like five five religious holidays and everybody can take it on the day they want to. I won't want to take it on Diwali. I don't want to take it on December 25th. Um, but that is accepted over here. Unlike in India where you have Eid, where you, every religion has its own on own, own holiday, in the US it's not that it's not that at all. Uh, so but people have been saying that okay, you know, US, even the progressives have been saying that we need to move beyond this and we need to have people from different religions. So there are, you know, this time there was the first Muslim American in, in, in the U.S. Congress. You know, they absolutely embrace their Muslim identity. And that's absolutely fine. They associate themselves with Qayyad. They associate themselves with Palestine. They associate themselves with all these causes. And the progressives have absolutely no problem with that. But Tulsi Gabbard, because she's, she's also proudly Hindu, and that's really a problem because for the progressives in the U.S., Hinduism is considered to be, you know, and we can have another discussion on this, mm-hmm. but Hinduism is either considered to be not quite kind of quite a religion. It's kind of a quaint religious beliefs that are held by individuals. This is because it does not satisfy the traditional definition of a Judeo-Christian, you know, a religion in their sense. It's not an Abrahamic religion. There's no notion of being a part of it, being out, being out of it converting to it. They just don't think of it as a religion. But I don't think that the opposition to Tulsi Gabbard comes from that. It comes from the fact that she's she, she's unapologetically Hindu and she's associated with Hindu causes. And that is the kiss of death uh, to anybody's candidature in the US. Now, of course, Republicans and right-wing people have a problem with a gender, have a problem with a color, and have a problem with a religion. That's to be expected. There's nothing to be said. But to, But it's curious that even the progressives and I have been tweeting different links about violent progressive attacks on her because of her connection to Hindu right-wing nationalists. Again, that is, she's not connected to Hindu right-wing nationalists. She shared the stage with the prime minister of the country. But it's it's it's, it's worth seeing that. By the way, when, when, when Muslim candidates pr- provide support in favor of Palestine, nobody points out that the Palestinian cause has also as part of it Hezbollah and Hamas. Okay, so nobody says that. They say it's, so there's this this is essential hypocrisy which which again I've which, which I find fairly amusing. Before we move on though, a quick word from our sponsors for this episode. We'll be right back. And that's about it. Thanks for sticking around. And uh, over to you, Arnab. Yes. So the last, and I think I'll I'll, I'll go back to my rambling self uh, within a few podcasts because this is very unnatural for me. So the next topic that I want to talk about was something which didn't get a lot of play in the the national media for very good reasons, but was all over the Calcutta newspapers. And the reason why I want to say it is because of, it was interesting again, as, as, as an observer of, of, of public morality and social mores, I found this, uh, I found this intriguing and I wanted to bring this 
to the attention of my listeners. So what happened was uh, in Nilratan Sharkar Hospital, which is a government hospital, uh, two nursing students uh, butchered 16 puppies in the most horrific way possible. But before we start, I want to say, you know, uh, that I am a I am a dog lover. I am a new dog lover. I mean, I wasn't like this all through my life, but off late for the last year, I've kind of become a, a, a very very strong lover of dogs. I don't have a dog in my house because my landlord doesn't permit it. But if he did, I would have. So of course, when the first videos came, I mean, there was just the video wasn't short, but the the, the video that actually came out was this person who was discovering this. 16 dead puppies stuffed inside uh, plastic bags and she was bringing them out and laying them out. It was an extremely disturbing uh, barbaric act. Uh, the, 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 the thing that was interesting was this was in a medical college and there was an outpouring. I didn't know that there were so many aggressive dog lovers, like really aggressive dog lovers who... First of all, there were candlelight uh, candlelight processions. There were political speeches. Manika Gandhi called and said these people have to be rusticated. They were arrested. And Calcutta, just before this frenzy of Mamata Banerjee's Maha, you know, this, this Maha Garbandan thing, this was occupied headlines in Calcutta, the, the, the death of 16 puppies. And what I found interesting, the two things which I find interesting I find interesting that the same people, the exact same people who are... And so first of all, let me tell you that these that these dog lovers, you know, there were a lot of people on Facebook who were also like against this. They were saying, oh, there's nothing to it. You know, dogs, who cares? These people were trolling them like crazy, giving rape threats, death threats to people who were in any shape or form, in any shape or form, saying something that was considered inimical to this narrative. Uh, people who had said things like, I'm a doctor at NRS, you know, I don't support, I don't support this butchering of puppies. I don't have any opinion on it. I'm just saying, uh, please don't use this as a way to protest against doctors or shut down NRS. This person had, you know, her profile was screenshot. They posted it on Dog Lover's website. They tried to locate who she was. So what I found amazing, and then people were wishing that person. It's not just one person, but several people, because I was going through the Facebook posts. They were wishing death. They were wishing, I mean, the, the standard stuff. But these were coming from the same people who don't understand why people react exactly the same way in another state for cows. So... The whole thing is, this is what I've always felt, that the emotional attachment, again, I'm not, first of all, I'm not justifying cow violence. Just as I'm not justifying, despite being a lover of dogs, I'm not justifying the death threats and the rape threats that these people are giving, just to make it clear. But what I find difficult to understand is that people are unable to fathom why somebody would be this passionate about a cow. It is not a matter of religion. It's not just a matter of religion. We are, as human beings, we feel a great amount of empathy for animals who are, again, higher order animals. So people say, but you're a non-vegetarian, you eat chicken and you, but the thing with chickens is that chickens are not, they, they don't manifest, you know, that level of humanity. And I use the word in an ironic sense that a cow or a dog or a cat does. 
Because no, anybody who's ever interacted, you know, a cow, especially in a village, a cow is like a dog. You know, even more so than a dog because the dog is somebody who you feed. There the cow feeds you. Okay. The cow is not just a pet. It, it, it is a member of the household who brings in something for the household. Okay. So it is in many ways. So when people butcher cows, again, I'm not justifying the reaction to it, but the exact same sense of outrage and this maddening outrage that so many people in Calcutta feel at the death of these 16 puppies is pretty much the exact feeling that people have for cows in another different state. And the reason why I'm saying this again and again is for liberals to be able to understand, keeping in mind that they're liberals, that people, that other people can feel the exact same emotions that you're feeling, but for a different animal. Okay. Again, I don't feel that emotion for cows. Okay. As a beef eater, I don't feel that emotion for cows. And the main, and perhaps the big reason for that is because I didn't grow up with cows. Maybe if I had grown up in a family with cows, I wouldn't have felt this way at all. Not that I grew up in a place with dogs, but I've seen dogs. I've seen people having dogs as pets. I don't feel like that for them. And nowadays I, I understand why I understand why people love dogs because the brief of it is that dogs are so forgiving. They kind of, you know, as, as you grow older and you lose your faith in human beings and you realize that no matter how good you behave with a human being, he can turn on a dime. Yes, Arun Shori, I'm talking about you. So, but you don't see that with animals. You don't see that with dogs. You don't see that with cats. What you give back, what you give them, you get back from them emotionally a hundred times multiplied. And this is something which is why everybody feels so deeply about pets, about dogs, cats, and yes, about cows. The second point that I felt was because this happened in NRS hospital is that there was so much, and these were nursing students, of course, there was a lot of rumors flying around. Some people said it were medical students and some there was like, oh, there were nursing students, but there were actually medical students behind them and, uh, you know, who were not caught on video. But whatever it is, is this hatred. I don't know if you felt this, Vikram, but this hatred of the medical profession, which I personally find very disconcerting. I'm not a doctor. I mean, I, mean, I am a doctor, but of the fake kind, the PhD kind. <laughs> but... But over the years, I, I've seen this. I've seen this kind of uh, just like politics has become more, you know, fractured, intense, and polarizing. I felt that there is, and I didn't see this when I was growing up. Maybe it was just me not seeing it, but I didn't think I didn't see there was such a deep hatred for doctors. I've seen cynicism, uh, but not hatred, at least on my end. I mean, first of all, doctors are, you know, in places they're lynched. These don't really make headlines. People just go in, they lynch, they break stuff in hospitals. I think one of the reasons for that, again, I may be wrong, but, you know, cynicism is one thing. We're always cynical about doctors, but doctors, at least when we were growing up, 
uh, they were always considered to be some good doctors and some bad doctors. But nowadays, I only hear about bad doctors. Some of it is, of course, because of I think because of social media negativity is increased. We right. an echo chamber where you only hear about negative things and negative things bring about more negative. Oh, you've oh you you're talking about that doctor. Let me tell you about my doctor experience. Oh, let me tell you about my bad doctor experience. So it's kind of like they they, they get amplified, and that's that, that's really happening in the social media age. But also, I feel uh, that the model of healthcare, at least in India, has changed fundamentally. Uh, the the whole nature of private healthcare. This was always the case, but I think it's become uh, more and more solidified. This this link between you know business development and doctors, and maybe people didn't know it that much before, but now they do. So you know, doctors have. I've heard this from doctors that you know many places doctors have targets. You know, the hospitals, the private places they sit in. Yes, they do. I can... In my days. Yes, they do. Yes. And in my days, that was not the problem. They didn't have targets. Doctors were accused of being rude. That was the worst thing. They were rude. They see too many patients. But nobody really felt that that their judgment was guided by finance. That what they were saying was because they were looking to make money on the residuals. They were just like, they were rude. They don't give you the time of the day. You know, those were the complaints. They don't make house calls. Yeah. 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 in my days, they were still used to make house calls. But yeah, people who didn't make house calls were considered arrogant. But it was accepted. But the main thing was they were considered to be, you know, this doctor gives too many medicines. Okay, that was like the worst that you could say about the doctor. Or he's very professional, which means he he gives you only two minutes. So those things stay. I mean, those things are still valid. But then there is this overarching hatred. And when these, these doctors, when, the, when this whole puppy thing came out, there were a lot of videos that were posted. It was as much about killing puppies as it was about the medical profession in general. So it was like these doctors. So there was this is nothing to do, you know. These doctors, if we, if this is the way they deal with puppies, can you imagine the way they deal with patients? No, I'm sorry. This doesn't. This firstly, there's no logical implication, which can. And I say this as a dog lover. Just because somebody is, you know, killing puppies, not reprehensible as that person is, doesn't necessarily mean that he will do the same thing with human beings. Good might. I guess in this case, because of the nature of the crime, because it was just not the puppies, it was just the way they were mur- they were killed. This shows that there's some pathological problem with these people. Um, they're, they're, they're deeply, there's something deeply wrong going on in the minds. But it also could be the whole mob mentality that, you know, that the, the mob mentality takes away your fundamental humanity and that you don't feel that you're really slaughtering puppies. And this, this happens not just to puppies, but happens to human beings too. So I think it's really the same thing, uh, the same the same mob mentality, that loss of empathy that happens in these kind of crowd situations, which is well documented, uh, could be part of that. But what I found interesting in a bad way was so much of these videos and so much of these social media postings was not so much about the puppies, but using this death of the puppies as a way as another stick to beat the medical profession with, which... Which again, I do not endorse in, in any shape or form. I don't, to an extent, I think there is, I would say there's a fault of the medical profession itself, that the medical professionals also themselves sometimes want to claim that they're noble. There's no nobility. I don't feel there's any nobility in the medical profession. It is a professional thing. It is, you give your subjective judgment based on your own knowledge. Things can work out. Things can't work out. That's fine. There's no difference between an engineer and a doctor. However, because 
it has been phrased before it has been messaged that it, there is a difference that the engineer is somebody who's only considered about his corporeal desires and a doctor is a noble profession that people expect also that okay now that we accept that you're noble a doctor ne fees mangi hai if you remember that famous <laughs> right clerk so nobody will nobody will ever say engineer ne fees mangi or engineer ne salary liya hai nobody will say that right But there should be no difference. I mean, that is the doctor's salary. Yeah, the, so the doctor and I think education se- sector are subject to this weird rule. Yes, yes. The, the teacher and the doctor is put on this pedestal, which they shouldn't be. Unfortunately, the doctors and teachers do enjoy being put on the pedestals, and then when people then judge them to it, they suddenly say, "Why are you behaving like this?" Which is exactly true. You know, there's if if you are going and beating uh, you know a doctor why don't you go and beat the civil engineer who made a bridge you don't right because you're mature enough to realize that you know he did whatever he could do and the doctor also does whatever he can do given his resources given the fact he's not god he's making based on some data he's making an instant judgment he doesn't i mean f- those of you who us who now understand you know the med- med- medical profession works is not nothing different than an engineering judgment it can always be challenged facts are not known and things change so this doesn't come you know a bad doctor's decision does not come from a from a point of malfeasance okay. there might be some cases but then my same things engineers are doing everybody is doing so there are always bad apples in everything but the doctors should be treated just doctors and teachers should be treated just like a profession there's no nobility special nobility for them they also should not be held to a higher standard in terms of the work they do and the compensation they expect in return doctors are highly paid doctors make more money i heard that that doesn't matter that's the market forces you know that's just it if you find the doctors make a lot of money which actually they don't do given the amount of effort they have to put in before that go ahead and become a doctor who's preventing you from becoming one so those are the two things which i found interesting and i thought i would tell you so that's it for for, for this week a breezy one so uh I I guess that was our podcast for today a T20 episode of uh, attention please if there ever was one just under 40 minutes we also have a new podcast out now that's what's up geeks it's a tech podcast without the tech and if you have somebody who doesn't really care for tech and but would like to make your life better using the gadgets and tech in your life this is the show for you so look out for what's up geek on the podcast player of your choice we have our first episode out right now and uh, second episode is coming very soon and at the risk of sounding naggy i would again want to just remind you to please respond to the opinion poll and uh, you'll have the sh- link to that right in the show notes on the podcast app itself so thanks and uh, see you around thanks arnab thank you for having me one thing that i wanted to stress because i haven't made this appeal in the new year for those of you who like this podcast and wanted to sustain and grow bigger please consider becoming a patron of, of of the show with a monthly contribution the link will be in the podcast it will be below the podcast uh th- and thank you again for the patrons who have continued you know contributing a monthly amount to this podcast thanks a lot it really helps thank you Bye-bye.